Blog Talk Radio. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The New African Broadcast speaks to the free-thinking movement that we see emerging in the minds of the day's black youth of America. African youths must be re-educated to the scientific reasoning found in natural law if this movement is to reach its full potential. Inshallah, the African American will break free of non-scientific and tribal thinking paradigms that fail to counter immoral behavior as well as limit solid economic progress in African American communities. As-salam alaykum. the chains off me, in this modern day slave offering, I'm just trying to be free, I love life, I'm just trying to be me, and I don't really care what society says, cause if I left it up to them, I'd probably be dead, but no, I feel the blood pumping through my veins, like, the people need to stop and get some things right, let's get back to the family, I don't like the news, but the news talk tragedy and politics, red and blue, two sides with the gang of you, make a vote for it, make a song that can maybe grab a quote from it, don't let the revolution leaders never run from it, pick my mind and see what comes from it, find King standing in the heat like the bus coming, and I don't need luck, I've been blessed from the most time, trying to go more time, cause the people say they want it, but the people never realize the rain till it's storming, what's up? Now Trash is a new packaging and try to sell it to me. I'm cool out in the streets with a college degree. I work for it. Ain't nobody got it for me. I can give you my reality, gonna sell you a dream. I'm solo to the dono, could sell you a team. But I practice what I preach, I can sell a belief. Cream rise to the top, bull set up beneath. Before you jump out the block, first set of your feet and run for it. If you want it, you should go for it. Break the reverse, only go for it. Pray for it till you're so sure you walk on faith, blindfolded by the boat shore. Uh, Stevie Wonder to my worst critic. Seemed like another leaf from when I first did it. Worked all night, no sleep, put a bread on the table and the shoes on my feet. I'm so the definition of the definition. Now time I got some recognition. And I told him to take the chains off of me. And this modern day slave off of me. So you got to have mind power to deal with salvation. And that's what we're dealing with. See, we can't go back to the biblical story of two loaves of bread, or two little fishes, five loaves of bread, two little fishes, yeah. You know what? You can't eat dust. You know what? You can't eat You know what? You can't eat dust. You know what? You can't eat Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrahmanirrahim. 
أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ولا سهله. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to another edition of A New African, the New African Broadcast. And I'd like to now give you the greetings of peace in the Quran and Arabia language. As-salamu alaykum. You have here again today your host, M.D. Shaheed. And again, we're going to be discussing with Imam Muhammad Sadiq. We're waiting on him to call in. Uh, we're going to be discussing again a series in part from Inside Looking Out, Black Muslim to Muslim America from the 1950s to today's present. Uh, we've already had two uh, parts in this series already done here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, and we've had a lot of good discussions here on the Nation of Islam in the early 40s and 50s a lot to do with the herbal civil rights movement in the early 60s with Martin Luther King, also the influence of uh, Malcolm X, uh, actually known as Malik uh, El-Hajj Shabazz. And I have with me also a uh, co-host here, uh, Brother Yassin, assalamu alaikum, and do speak to the audience briefly. Assalamu alaikum. Well, alaikum can you turn your volume up a little bit? Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, hey, you uh, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, Alhamdulillah. You have any quick things you want to say before we bring on Imam Muhammad Sadiq? Uh, well, not a, not a, not at all. Um, okay, well, I'll be ready ready. Get, just ready to get into the talk. Okay, alhamdulillah. Okay, I will be bringing in Muhammad Sadiq. Brother Muhammad Sadiq, Imam Muhammad Sadiq from Indianapolis. Assalamu alaikum. And again, welcome to a new edition of A New African. Wa alaikum assalam, Brother Shaheed. And thank you so very much for the invitation. Yes, sir. Alhamdulillah, Brother Sadiq here. Very knowledgeable man. Many, many years experience in the uh, political movements, social movements, as well as educational movements here in the United States, uh, particularly among African-American people. He gave us some insights on our last show about the educational facilities that they had established in New York City. Uh, brother, uh, email, I'd like to pick up kind of where we left off here. We, we left off about the 1970s, maybe, and right at 1970, we want to try to see can we move through a period of about 1970, 1980, 1985. And I, I know at that time you was well aware that President Nixon was the president. Uh, we used to call him Tricky Dick. He was the president, as well as the Vietnam War was, was going on. And uh, just kind of give me an insight at the, at the time of the Nation of Islam, 1970, 71, 72, we did talk about the emergence of Warth Dean Muhammad, back then known as Minister Wallace Muhammad, but uh, just kind of give us an introduction into right about the early 70s, the uh, Nation of Islam, interest infrastructure, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, what he was doing, and also the tune of the African-American people at that time 
and their uh, response to Islam and just to the new social consciousness that we saw in the early 70s. Well, with Allah's name, the merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. And, of course, we bear witnesses but one God, Allah, Muhammad's messenger. Um, in, the, in the 1970s, as I was saying earlier in an earlier show, how um, for the first time African Americans coming out of the 60s into the 70s, African Americans were finding <clears throat> some some uh, benefits in America through uh, the previous president's program, the, the war on poverty and the new new uh, society and all like that. And that's with President Johnson after the death of John JFK, and as a result of that, <clears throat> there was there was something, a couple of things that happened that, that were very good, especially with the uh, access to the legal services, where for the first time African Americans were in a position to file lawsuits for some of the inequities and injustices that they had, but they shut that down really quick. And then uh, also there was the uh, uh, manifestation of of academics uh, schools by African American. They had the Eurosasa School, which was uh, a school in in um, in New York City, and I think it has something to do with some of the African culture, our African culture. And um, then we had a lot of African programs, especially in New York area, you know, we had the Black Family Day, we had uh, uh, rallies, the Free Angela Davis, we had rallies, uh, we had bazaars and rallies, and uh, it was it was really, in perhaps the, the biggest thing that happened was the Congress of African People called COPE. Congress of African People was a um, program that Georgia, and it was originally um, backed and sponsored by um, uh, Whitney uh, Young, who was a uh, part of the Urban League, Jesse Jackson, uh, Julian Barnes, um, and, and all of the uh, uh, people involved around SCLC and many of the uh, movers and shakers down in Atlanta. But what made this program so significant, they had, uh, also don't forget the Hayward Henry people out of um, Michigan and others around the country. But this COAP program is probably the largest had at that time. It's probably the largest one we've ever had, considering not so much in numbers, but considering where we drew weapons from. Uh, delegates and participants who came from as far as of, of Africa, who came uh, from Finley, uh, came from Australia. We had uh, delegates who came from all parts of America, from the Caribbean islands, from Bermuda, from Canada. So it, it was really a effort to pull together the family of people of color and have them meet and talk and 
and uh, strategize with the kind of inequities and injustices that they were experiencing in their various parts of the world. And um, I thought it was a really tremendous program. But one of the things that they had done, they had uh, it was it was on um, um, I think it was on Clark campus down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And um, what happened was they had invited the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to come down and do a workshop. And uh, when I sat down with Minister Farrakhan and, and Larry, who was the brother Larry, who was Akbar Muhammad, and we sat down and discussed it. I, and Minister Farrakhan was telling us about the invitation. I said, Brother Minister, I said, can I, can I say something? He said, yes, go ahead. I think this is an insult. He said, what do you mean, insult? I said, I said, here the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is the father of black consciousness. I said, here he is. He's got the most progressive program in the United States of America. I said, we're in every major area of America, except for, you know, those, those states where there are no African Americans at all. I said, and here we are with schools and businesses and and uh, growing in numbers and organized across this country. I said, and they invite him in to do a workshop? And meanwhile, they're going to take full, uh, uh, take advantage of, of the program, and they're going to be the, the the main speakers and everything? I said, that's an insult. And so he said, well, I don't disagree with you. He said, well, what can we do about it? I said, we need to change it. He said, how would you change it? I said, we'd go down there and change it. He said, okay, get two tickets and get that, get down there. I said, he said, you and you and Larry, get on the plane, get your hotel in Atlanta, and go to work on changing it. So we got on the plane. It was it wasn't a day later. We were on the plane heading for Atlanta, Georgia, and we got to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, to, got our hotel reservations, and uh, then uh, made an appointment to sit down with uh, with Jesse and the boys, you know, and told them just what I'm telling you right now. I said, we think this is an embarrassment. And we think it's unfair that you would invite the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to participate at the level of a workshop. I said, while well, meanwhile, all of your people are giving speeches at the at the main program. <coughs> I said, and here, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is going to be talking to a handful of people in some little classroom with other little workshops going on all over the the, uh, the campus. I said, and you're going to call all the people together where you will talk to them all, the whole or the whole uh, um, congregation of the, everyone who attended the, uh, the particular convention. So they couldn't argue with that because they saw that that, was, that really was an embarrassment. I said, I said, plus, look at the work that Honorable Elijah Muhammad has done in his doors. Who else has a newspaper? Who else has a school? Who else has the business? Who else has radio programs all over the, all over the country? And so they said, okay, you made your point, you made your point, okay. But we've already got the program set. So he said, what can we do? He said, I'll tell you what, we'll give you give him a few minutes on the main night for him to have something to say, for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to have something to say. So I I said, well, it may not, if he if he comes, I said, if not, if Minister Farrakhan will come. Well, who is Minister Farrakhan? His folks, he's the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's spokesperson. So, okay, well, how you spell that? So we told him, so they said, okay, he can have five minutes. Right, you know. So then they said, well, 
uh, if we're going to do all that, he said, we're going to have to get a bigger site because they were were just going for um, having it in some major area of the campus, but not in the the largest area. So I said, well, why don't you get it in the gymnasium? So they said, okay, we'll put it in the gymnasium. So they moved it from wherever it was scheduled to be to the gymnasium. So now the night that Minister Farrakhan was supposed to speak, meanwhile, Minister Farrakhan, we notified him. He notified the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Honorable Elijah Muhammad contacted the Muhammad Speaks newspaper, and they put a black, bold headline, huge headline, talk about the Congress of African People, you know. And uh, that was the headline of the paper. And so now, meanwhile, the brothers are all across the country and all in Atlanta, they're selling this, advertising this, you know. And so here we are. Archon is scheduled to speak in the place of of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So right before Minister Farrakhan spoke, Whitney Young, who is the director of the Urban League, he comes up to speak. He came up to speak. He started talking about how we should love our white brothers and sisters, you know, because he's part of Urban League. They get from these big uh, cash cows. from. So he had to lift that that, that, uh, America up. And that just was not the time for that in 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 that particular. Uh, so they told uh, they, they booed Whitney Young off the stage. Boo boo, get him off of this! But we have to love our white brothers. Get him off of this! But we come up there and get him, you know. So they actually booed him. He he didn't even get five minutes into his speech. Now he was scheduled to speak for minutes, thirty minutes almost. Okay, because of his unique position that he held. Okay. So then they said, we're going to have some music by Jerry Butler. So Jerry Butler, I don't know if you remember him. He don't love me like I love you. Right, I remember Jerry Butler. If he would, take my heart. So anyhow, that, that's Jerry Butler, okay? So Jerry Butler, right. he's setting up his band. He, they get ready to play. And he brings this white drummer out. The white drummer comes out, and they all bow. And they say, no, no, brother, no, he got to go. But he's my drummer. He got to go. But he's the drummer. I don't get boo boo. They boo Jerry Butler off the stage. Well, Jerry Butler was scheduled to play for about a half an hour. Okay? So now here's a big gap in the program now. Whitney Young is booed off. Jerry Butler's booed off the stage. And the only one, and they look at me now, and I'm looking like the cat that ate the canary. He said, uh, 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 Brother Clark, you think. You think you can get your man to talk a little longer than that? What's his name? I said, Farrakhan. So you, you think you can get him to talk? I said, I, can, I don't know. I can appeal to him, you know. So I knew that that wasn't going to be no problem. So I said, yeah, please ask him. He said, Cause we, we jammed up now. So I went and told Mr. Farrakhan. I said, look, the doorway is open. I said, you got about an hour. He said, what? You know, I said, yeah. So when he came out there, he, and, of course, he spoke so well and spoke so beautifully. And and the, the people were knocked out. I mean, they were shouting and, and clapping and standing. And while they were uh, uh, clapping, I went down, and Jerry Butler is, is standing there looking like he, the cat that ate the canary, and and uh, Whitney Young is standing there looking like I don't know why I'm here. And I told the brother Hayward Henry, who was one of the sponsors, I said, hey, look. I said, I got an idea. I said, I said, Jerry, you and, and and Whitney come with me. I said, what you got in your mind? I said, you, I said, you get on one side of the minister and hold his hand up, and you get on the other side. 
they hesitated. I said, this is one way we can say Because the people, the crowd was busy, busy chanting and chanting and clapping. Cause, I mean, they were knocked out. When these two came up and held it, both, that one got on one side of the minister, one got on the other side and held up his hand. Oh, man. Oh, man. The crowd went wild, you know. And then the sponsors and all, they all came up in support of it. So that saves that, you know. That's how we went on and we had the workshops and the program and everything throughout. But that was one of the most successful programs we had. First time we had had an international program, African American people, uh, and it was held in Atlanta, Georgia. So was, what, what, year, what year was this, brother, you man? 1970. You? And, and yeah, I, I you, I'm trying to be obedient to your request. That was 1970 on the dot. Okay, and and uh, 1970, and I, we kind of know. I wanted you to pick up from there in 1970. We know, at least when I say we, I mean people who uh, have followed the, nation, the history of the Nation of Islam and actually maybe been a part of the Nation of Islam. Around 1971, 72, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was not as, as well in good health. And at that time, tell us some of the changes that were beginning to occur in terms let me of. Let's back up to 68 first and then go forward. In, okay, in that's 68, fine. 1968 was the year of uh, they, they had the, the they had the convention in Chicago, right? And the convention right. was scheduled to be in Chicago for the Democratic Party, and so exactly. and so when the uh, down in Atlanta again, uh, uh, Andrew Young and Julian Bond and all of the movers and shakers down in Atlanta, they had decided they were going to they were going to come. And for the first time, they're going to bring a delegation of African Americans to, this, to the Democratic Convention because they have been treated all along, all along like the spooky sat behind the door. So they they had this all set up. They had their delegates and everything all set and ready to come to to uh, Chicago, but they ran out of money. So when they ran out of money, they they came and knocked on Honorable Elijah Muhammad's door. And I happened to be there the day that they knocked on the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's door. And they came to the table. Honorable Elijah Muhammad always conducted business at the table. He never, you know, over dinner and something like that. He never just had, well, he had meetings sometimes. But, I mean, but the majority of his uh, business, he took care over dinner table, you know. So I was there when uh, when they came. And so the Honorable Elijah, when they asked him for this money, Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, I don't know why you're asking me for some money. I'm a poor man. I don't have no money. And the only money that I have is the money that my followers let me hold for them. And I have to do their bidding. So if you want to ask for some money, there they are. There's some of them right there. Ask them. Give you some money. <laughs> so he told them, he told them, he said, I, he said they had to ask the followers for the money. So, uh, so Julian Barnes, he was basically the spokesman. He said, okay, well, uh, I'm asking you, would you give us some money so that we could come up here? I'm asking all of you. So we're all sitting around the table. You know, it must have been about six or seven of us who were directors of, of, of University of Islam. You know, we had from California. Nada Ali was there. I was there from uh, New York City, I think. Uh, Dr. Shabazz was there from from uh, 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 and different ministers from around the country, you know, different directors. But anyhow... So the Julian Bond, they, 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 the Honorable Elijah Bond said, go around the table, ask each one of them, you know. So he started off with the secretary who was right next to Honorable Elijah Bond, Valora Najee. 
Now, Valora Najee was a hot pistol, buddy. She was one of those firebrand girls who didn't take no prisoners. I wouldn't give them a dime, dear Holy Pastor. I wouldn't give them nothing. They ain't never helped us every time we do something. They criticize us, talk about us in the paper, and call us names and say, No, that's my answer. No, don't give them nothing. <laughs> she set the stage. She said she wouldn't give them nothing, okay? And so then they came to uh, not our, they came to me, you know. They asked me, I said, well, yeah, dear Holy Pastor. I said, I, 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 I uh, think we should help them. I said, I think, I said, they're trying to do something that will help all of us. I said, in the final analysis, I said, if they get this delegation up there do what they're supposed to do, I said, this can be a great benefit for African-American people. I said, so my vote would be yes, help them, let's give them the money. And so all around the table, they went all the way around the table, and all everyone else voted yes, 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 you know. And so, um, Lord Honorable Elijah Muhammad told me, he says, well, okay. He said, now, I... Uh, I know you don't want to take no check from Elijah Muhammad because I don't keep that kind of cash on me. So uh, the kind of money you all want. So um, uh, Julian Bond said, I'll take a check from anybody. He said, I don't care what you guys, I'll take it from anybody. You give me that money. So uh, <coughs> Elijah Muhammad said, no, I won't do you like that. He said, that way, you know, we don't want the white man in our business. He said, you come back tomorrow morning, be here tomorrow at 9. 10 o'clock, pardon me. He said, I'll have my man go to the bank at 9 and have that money back here for you by 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Showing up 10 o'clock back, and they got that big check, they get that big chunk of cash, and all the rest is history. So that took care of 68. How, how much money did he give him? It was in the thousands. I don't know how many thousands it was. I, I think it was up, I think it was up 20, 30,000 maybe or, or something. He needed, they needed money to travel for transportation for all the delegates and, and room and board and all like that. So it had to be up in the in the twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. I don't know. There's different comments on it. Imam Sahir wrote about it in his book, you know, The Man Behind the Men and he has a, a detailed uh, uh rendering of it because he even talked to Julian Bond when Julian Bond happened to come to uh Indiana or he was somewhere where uh, where Imam Sahir was and Imam Sahir Went to him and asked him about that. And he remembered it, and he uh, he gave him some figure, but the uh, the figure that he gave him, I think, was much too low. You know. But anyhow, that's 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 that story right there. So, now what else were you asking for? Well, I was asking for around in the early seventies. We know that uh, Elijah Muhammad was uh, stricken with illness, so he he wasn't in good health. And at that time, the uh, direction of the nation of Islam. I think it began to turn its focus, and I just want you to kind of pick up on that, and then also the emergence of the the uh, we got a picture shot or a, a shot of or a picture of uh, the coming of a new type of new leadership in the nation of Islam. I want you to pick up pretty much kind of where you left out of the 1970s. Well, the, the whole, what was happening in the nation of Islam, many of the ministers had began to sort of dress like pimps, you know. They, they were dressing in fur coats and big rings on their finger and alligator shoes and feather-made suits and uh, hat and cup, and driving big cars, shiny cars. There's been a, a, a strong move towards materialism 
in the leadership, in the leadership, well, like my salam in the leadership uh, of uh, of the of the, of the uh, community. And so, um, not only that, a, a little criminal element creeped in too, where you know a lot of some of it was rumored that in certain cities, that some of the Muslims were extorting money from some of the uh, hoodlums, drug dealers, and like, like my salam, sugar. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyhow, they were, they were, they, uh, this was going on in, uh, in the nation where uh, there was money some of the criminal element to help underwrite some of their Muhammad Speaks newspaper. And these are some, some of the bad things that were going on. But meanwhile, <clears throat> I do. I must say this: to the best of my knowledge, New York State quite pure, and it's a focus. And and there wasn't any of that. That if it was done, it was it wasn't done openly, and it was done in such a way that no one knew it. Because I, I certainly would have peeped that. But I do know in certain cities close to New York, <laughs> um, there was a lot of hanky panky going on. A lot, like they said, a lot of shaking going on. And um, but anyhow, we got a lot of the elements. Some of those people end up going to jail. There was one case where somebody had robbed the bank, turned the corner, and the car flew open, and a whole lot of Muhammad speak flying out all into the land. You know, I mean that that was, you know on the street. So, but that's, that was on the negative side. On the positive side, positive, big effort for uh, importing fish. We were importing the whiting H and G. H and G stands for editing. We're bringing in big loads of, but some in on the west coast, but some in down in uh, on Montana. A lot of it into New York City. And we had um, different resources for the fish. Some fish from Peru. We got some fish at one time from the Japanese fish. And we got fish from different places. And not only that, uh, was the uh, the guy who was doing it was not our Ali. He's a friend of mine. He was also uh, a director of the, of the University of this time. In, in uh, Oakland, California, probably in Los Angeles, California, and uh, he in turn did a lot of negotiation with some, and he only that he bought in samples of other kinds of things that we could uh, silverware, cups, saucers, plates, all kinds of things, and, and we set up an import store right across the street from uh, the Salam Restaurant in in uh, in Chicago. And uh, he also uh, had a negotiated uh, contract for some Moroccan sardines. We were selling sardines, and we had our labels on all of these things, Salam brand, that's what we called it. And uh, we also had um, we had uh, uh, napkins and some type of clothing, and uh, we were on our way. You know, we were on our way. Then, then not our under the under the instruction of Elijah Muhammad, we had the contract with Pouch Foods. Pouch Foods. Pouch Foods were 
it was a uh, program where, like for the astronauts and things like that, where you could take food and you could uh, cook it and preserve it in vacuum-sealed bags, plastic bags, and keep it unrefrigerated for literally years and it would still be just as good as it was when you put it in there because it was vacuum-packed. And so we, we had that contract even up till and past the passing of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And then somewhere along the line when um, some of the uh, Republicans or whatever they were, they, they learned that we were doing the, the contract for the, for the uh, United States Army, you know, mm-hmm. they got, got upset because this was this was a multi-million dollar contract. This wasn't a little contract. So we had this big contract, and uh, they they uh, did away with that real quick. We also had a uh, in the in the early seventies, we had a contract with Eastern Airline. It was an airline called Eastern Airline. I don't know if some of you remember that. Eastern Airline was a large airline, and um, we had what's called teeny beanie, small size, uh, oh, I guess about an inch and a half of, uh, in diameter, going across uh, for for uh, in circumference, pardon me, uh, dealing with a for um, a bean pie, and it was called the teeny beanie, and we sold that to Eastern Airline, and like instead of getting a pack of peanuts or stuff like that. Different people, that was the dessert, and I mean, people loved it. So that was dessert. We had that contract with the Eastern Airline. And uh, we also had uh, the Lamb Packing Company, and we had uh, we had experimentation going on with how to do everything with a Whiting H&G, how to make, take the bones of the Whiting H&G, grind down the flour and dry it out, uh, and take advantage of the calcium content. Uh, in the bones use that power. We also experimented with the Navy Sea Bean uh, uh, bean pie distribution throughout the city of New York. We had great big ovens that would stretch the size of a room and with different sh- shelves on it that could cook probably hundreds of pies at one time. And we had that and we had brothers who were uh, astute in putting we go to the auction and bid and get those things, and then we could disassemble them and take them back to to our community, and then re re uh, re uh, build them on the site. And we had uh, distribution of beans. We had uh, pies. We had trucks going all through the city doing distribution of bean pies. A brother named Raymond. Raymond was just an excellent salesman. I mean, and he wasn't the only one. Trucks with our name on it, and we're going at nice looking, going all over the city. Delivering bean pies, and we were at runs all over the city for for bean pies. You know, and we had the uh, for the fish, we had miniature fish stores all over New York City, and we had steak and take shops throughout New York City. So it was it was really a lot of progressive things were going on in business, and uh, of course we had our, our little grocery stores and. And, of course, in Chicago, we had a major supermarket called Your Supermarket. And uh, in uh, New York, we had small grocery stores. We had fruit fruit market. 
and we had the, the Steak and Take Show, which was an idea from a brother coming out of Buffalo, New York, Melvin Dunstan, Raymond Evans, Howard, Brother Howard, um, and uh, who you know is, is Wahid Shah. And these are the three brothers, three major brothers, who came up with the Steak and, uh, steak and Take Shops. So there was a lot of uh, progressive things going on in the nation at our school going. And this is all going at the same time. We had our school going, which is uh, we had a, we reached the capacity about 50 before it closed in the uh, early. Uh, and um, we had uh, school buses coming and going. We had. Um, the United Nations rerouted tour bus so they could uh, capture of the leaving of the brothers. Try to see because all of the young sisters were dressed in these pretty little tan uniforms, and the uh, young brothers dark blazers, and uh, you had to have a, a dark, like a dark navy blue or black blazer, type sports jacket, and uh, white shirts and ties. And uh, it was just a beautiful sight to see. Okay, this is uh, from Inside Looking Out, Black Muslim to Muslim American, 1956 to the present day time. I have on right now the line email Muhammad Sadiq. Email Muhammad Sadiq is giving us a historical inspection of the Nation of Islam the uh, inner workings, some of the uh, the hierarchy in the nation of Islam, the religious teachings. We just learned a lot about some of the businesses. If you want to call in now and ask a question to email Muhammad Sadiq, you can, 646-668-8368. That's 646-668-8368. Brother Yassin, do you have any questions that you want to ask Imam Sadiq at this point? Point in time. Yassin, are you available? Assalamu alaikum. Uh, no, not at the moment. I, I do not have any questions. Okay, okay. good. Uh, Imam Sadiq, uh, pick up where you left off here. Uh, and I think he was talking about, or uh, well, I had raised the issue about the emergence of the new leadership in the nation of Islam in the uh, early 70s. Could you pick up on that uh, time and period for me? Well, um, as we all know, in 1975, um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had had some serious bouts with his health, and... um, when it was clear, first of all, let, let's, let me back up a little bit. Um, I happened to be at the table again of visiting the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. See, I was, as a director of the University of Islam, I was given sort of carte blanche to come out to see the Honorable Elijah Muhammad any Tuesday I so chose to come. He, that's where he put it for me, you know. Now, I didn't take advantage of it like that because you have to be careful when someone gives you that kind of leeway, still don't lose control and just show up any time, you know. So I always checked before I went. But he would always basically give me a right to come, and I'd come on out there and sit and talk with him and bring my questions to him. 
In fact, on one occasion, i got to tell you this, <clears throat> and I think I might have mentioned this or started to mention I don't think I've completed it, but I had, um, we had uh, this program in conjunction with City College, and um, uh, Dr. Razi Hassan, who was, not, who was Brother Robert Blockham, who did, he was my assistant, but he was the most outstanding uh, teacher you ever want to see. First, he's brilliant. He's working now as a professor. Dr. Hassan is a, in the Department of Chemistry at, at Alabama A&M University, and he got his doctorate in NYU, New York University. And so in uh, uh, chemistry, and um, so what he what he he had come up with various programs and ideas for gardening and different things like that. And having done that, he had made very good uh, contacts with the officials and everything at these colleges. And so one of the uh, uh, professors had advanced an idea that they wanted to give us um, financial assistance to help us deal with some of the programs we had, because we had one program tied in with Tuskegee University, because that's travel, that's money, that's everything. You know, we had our students uh, who were involved in this. So anyhow, they had offered me a program Oh, it must have been up in the fifties, a hundred thousand dollars, or whatever it was, where we could it would be to subsidize us on some of the things that we were doing. And so they asked me would I accept it. I told them I said, well, I'd have to get back to them. I said because I'd have to take it up with my superior, who was Honorable Elijah Muhammad. You know, of course, I, at first I, I ran it by Minister Farcom first. I never just tried to go over his head because that was the chain of command. And, of course, Minister Farcon had always been very supportive and cooperative for, for me as the director of the University of Islam. So he told me to um, say he, he that should be taken up with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And I called and got an appointment went out there. <clears throat> and so uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, well, what is it that you want, uh, Mr. Brother Teacher? What is, do you, you have a program or something you want me to look at? And I said, yes, sir. Now, let me see what you have there. You know, so I took it and I gave it to him and showed him. He took a look at it, looked over those glasses, and he handed it back to me. He said, i tell you what you do. You take this program that you have, and when you get back home, you take this and stick it right in the trash can. You hear me? I said, yes, sir. Now... <laughs> So, so he went on talking about something else. I'm standing there shaking like a leaf, right? Okay. So I went back home. I'm, I take this thing out of my pocket. I looked at it. And you know what I did? I stuck it right in the trash can. Boom. It's just what he said to it. I didn't even look at it again. And I moved forward from there. I never even looked back, you know. And, uh, of course, when they reached out for me, I told him, no, that, 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 that my leader said that he was not interested in nothing like that right now. So that, that that was another thing they could not comprehend is that they, you know, we weren't for sale. We weren't for sale. Elijah Muhammad wanted us to use our own resources, and we did use our own resources. With that school, we opened that school and closed that school purely on the monies we raised. We raised the money, and we ran a first-class school. And I still have a letter. Next program we have will give me time to pull it out. And I can read the, a copy of the letter that um, when we were inspected by the authorities, the, the 
the authorities for the school board in uh, the city of New York. The, when they left there, I mean, this guy took him for a tour. Tears came in his eyes. Tears came in his eyes. He's looking at a school with thousands of students that he knew were nothing but problems. He walked into that school and they're they're functioning and and carrying out their program so beautiful and disciplined and quiet. I mean, you couldn't hear a pin drop in there. The bathrooms were you could go in there and have your lunch in the bathroom. Nurses station. We had we had uh, classrooms with TV monitors in them, and uh, we would do an open devotion each day before we start the school. And uh, 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 you know, photographs or uh, as you said, cinematography type way uh, from the um, office of the minister. So we had a wonderful thing going, and we had school buses, and we had. Uh, parents assisting us. We had a dean in the school, dean of boys, ten girls. We had uh, accurate records, best minds that you could get. Brother used to work on Wall Wall Street. Brother Lester, he was there as, as Brother Joseph and some others. You know who who uh, worked very diligently and sacrificed. So we had we had a first class school. It was a brand new school because keep in mind now. The building that we had for the school was 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 firebombed the night Malcolm was killed. When Malcolm was killed, out of revenge, the people who were sympathetic with Malcolm, they uh, retaliated by firebombing our building. And when they firebombed our building, it went they, it burned down to the ground. So after it burned down to the ground, we had the job of rebuilding that building. So Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, had the building rebuilt. And when it was rebuilt, we established that school right there. And it's a, it's a, it's a model, an example. And it's called El Malik, El Haj Malik Shabazz, you know, yeah. or Malcolm. And it sits right there on the corner of 116th and Lenox Avenue in New York City now today. Okay. You're listening to Imam Muhammad Sadiq. Give us insights on the nation of Islam, its ever-progressing entity, ever-progressing uh, concept, I would even say, here in the United States of America. Imam Sadiq, we're going to go to a break, give you a break right now. We'll be back in about five or six minutes. If you have any questions, we want them to hold them at that time. And when we come back from the break, we'll pick up our discussion or the Nation of Islam, 
used to have hair bumps except my friends. It cleared it up. No more dry patches, even the, the patches that would come around. Juceuticals, all natural products. Call today at 1-800-977-3981. Actually brought it for my daughters. They and my daughters really my their hair has gotten so much thicker. It's gotten longer, and they feel it's like they had a ball like ball spots on the side of their head. But um, ever since uh, we've been using it, they no more. Their hair has actually grown. Excel Nutraceuticals All Natural Base HGS has been scientifically developed for the control of eczema of the scalp and hair regrowth. For more information, go to www.xcel-n.com. Yes, hi. My name is Carmen. About a year ago, I had ordered three of the jars of the Excel HGS, and I'm here to tell you, Oh, it really, really worked. It stopped my hair from thinning out. My hair is just beautiful, and I'm just so very well pleased. Nutraceuticals, all natural products. Call today at 1-800-977-3981.
Okay, assalamu alaikum. This is a new African. We have on the line today our guest, Imam Muhammad Sadiq, and we're going to bring him back on in a few minutes. He's been giving us a lot of insight on the nation of Islam, its evolution, its development, some of the leaders, internal leaders, uh, some of the economic programs of the nation of Islam, as well as educational programs. Brother Imam Sadiq, assalamu alaikum. And I'll let you pick up from, Yes, sir, and I'll let you pick up from where you left off at. Well, okay, um this is around nineteen we're in our seventies and um I wanna to move to uh the different things that were going on in our community. Um Farcon had initiated a um a fish program which was very, very successful. But before that, before we went into the school, I should have given you this. We had a perhaps a it, at the time it was it was uh, big fifty dollar plate dinner. We wasn't no no one ever heard of no fifty dollar plate dinner. We had a a uh, big dinner plan Waldorf Astoria. The Waldorf Astoria, for anyone who doesn't know, is is and was one of the most prestigious hotels in the city of New York City. And uh, Minister Farrakhan said, if we're going to go in, let's go right. And so we um, we went into the, um, we're going to go into the building, and we wanted to announce our opening of our new school, brand new school sitting right there in the center of Harlem. So he came up with this idea, and he called in myself as the director of the school, another brother named Brother Wayne, who was very, very talented. He used to play the role of the Amazing Hawk on television. Called in another brother, very brilliant brother named Brother Leroy Baylor. Leroy, excellent worker, very brilliant man working with uh, time, time uh, was news agency. So, he, um, so the three of us, I sat down with Brother Akbar, who's Brother Larry, and we began to throw around ideas as to how we could pull off this, uh, charging $50 a plate, getting uh, a type of uh, uh, ad brochure. And so, since special invitations around uh, the city participate, it was huge. Now, if we're going to have a dinner of this magnitude, we have to have somebody going to play the prestigious hotel and program that we're trying to have. So who would be more appropriate than Duke Ellington himself? Uh -huh. So we extended an invitation to Duke Ellington, and he accepted our invitation to play. And so here we are. Uh, 116th Street, Harlemites, downtown New York City, Duke Ellington playing the Waldorf Astoria, and here we are uh, opening up our, our school, one of our school particular efforts. So Duke, he played, and he, of course, he gave us his traditional greeting, love you madly, you know, and he, you know, so we had that, and that was beautiful. Historic, and we still have uh, uh, a lot of documentation around from that event. 
Another, let me tell you about a couple other events that we had that are historical in that period of time. At the same time, uh, they were trying to bring uh, Idi Amin and uh, Kurt Waldheim uh, in, into the United States. Uh, Idi Amin, of course, did not have a good name among uh, Caucasian people because he had uh, he was the president of the and uh, he had them, when he went over there, he mockingly had them carrying him around in one of those uh, uh, kind of hammocks, whatever you call them, like they would carry, uh, the, like they used to make the blacks carry the whites around him. So he did that and all, oh, boy, that upset these Caucasians all over the country. So, but anyhow, that as well as alleged manner in which he ruled over there. I say alleged because we don't have any proof of that. But anyhow, what Idi Amin invited to come to the United Nations, but they, they wouldn't let him come into the United States unless he had a sponsor, someone who would sign off on him, send him an invitation as, as being his sponsor for him coming here. And, and that person, of course, had to be somebody who could, uh, name resonated right circle. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad accepted that responsibility, and I did the, they, I was chosen to do the, the courier work, to, to couple the papers between back from Chicago, Washington, D.C., and New York City. So, I mean, I, I was jumping on planes and running from one city to the next, having to get the signature. John of Elijah Muhammad's house, getting signatures here, getting uh, him to sign off on this that, and hit New York, heading back to the, the guy the embassy. So finally, we got everything straightened out. After we all straightened out, uh, the night of the program, where there's a big reception at the, uh, ironically, at the Waldorf Astoria, we had the uh, reception there. Uh, my wife and I were extended an invitation to attend also, and so uh, I, if I remember right, this China also was being. I don't think China had been active in the United Nations. But anyhow, we were we sat at the table. My wife and I sat at the table with the delegation from China. You know, which was, uh, or I can say a delegation because I don't know if it was V or A. But anyhow, it was a very significant group of people at that table who were from China. And we sat there with them. And, of course, I didn't understand a word they were saying. They probably didn't understand a word I was saying. But I was very honored to be there. I was very honored to, to participate at that level of uh, of humanity. Then we had another program in New York City, <clears throat> which was called Black Family Day. In Black Family Day, um, Mr. Farrakhan... <laughs> Mr. Farrakhan had some very dramatic ideas, and it was it was very good, and, and it was creative, and it caught people's attention. But during Black Family Day, uh, we rented Randall's Island, which is a big stadium that that is basically underneath of the end of the Triborough Bridge when you're going out to Queens or going, to, you know, down heading down the Lower Manhattan. And Randall's Island sits right as you get ready to cross the bridge heading towards Queens or the Bronx, too. So anyhow, um, 
Minister Farrar, I mean, crowds of people were coming all through Harlem. You could hardly move because that's how the people were moving in droves, and you could traffic wasn't able to move. So Minister Farrakhan had dressed up in an all-white suit, you know, and uh, which fit the um, the uh, idea of uh, that was explained in the Bible about an angel ascending from heaven, all decked in white, you know. So anyhow, he said he said, asked me to join him, and we went downtown and rented a helicopter, and uh, we took the we we got on board the helicopter, and the helicopter took us in to the stadium. And so, I mean, it was a dramatic land, and we came in, I mean, <laughs> we came in from uh, the sky, you know, dropping down into the stadium. And uh, the beautiful thing was that we, you know, that we know now that we don't have any nationals or flags or anything like that. But back then we had the Star and the Crescent, and uh, we had that whole stadium. My wife had made these these um these uh star and crescent flags big flags and we had we had the whole stadium decked with these uh, uh star and crescent flags and uh we had some of the most outstanding musicians first class musicians and and uh, recording artists who had come to participate and it was just a tremendous wonderful uh, experience and excellent program that we had that particular day. So that's just a couple of major programs that we had. New York, New York City, oh, it set the tone. In fact, like we have here in Indianapolis, Indiana, we have. But uh, my understanding is the idea. People say Jesse Jackson started Black Expo here in Indiana. I understand that Jesse Jackson saw that stars that we had in New York City. He was moved by that, and that's where the Black Expo uh, was. was uh, okay, I'll see if there's any questions you have so far on that. Yes, sir. Okay, Brother Ma'am, tell us about 1975. Okay, 1975. 1975, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, every year. <laughs> Every year around Savior's Day time, the devil, as we called him then, <laughs> uh, would start the propaganda machine going about Elijah Muhammad. You know, he's getting older, he's getting sick, and who will be the next person? So we were used to that. Every year he started that, that drama going about, you know, who's coming after the Elijah Muhammad, and he's getting sick. And when he dies, what what will you all do? And uh, we were of the opinion, in a frame of mind, that he wasn't going nowhere as long as God protected him. And, and very, be very honest with you, we didn't think he was going anywhere, period. Anyhow, Valor uh, and Ajib, who I spoke of earlier, began calling <clears throat> the temple around the early part, middle of February, maybe around the 20th, 15th and the 20th, around that time. <clears throat> and she was, she was, well, first of all, I should, I should, maybe I should back up to to the fact that Imam Warthi Muhammad had been away. 
he had been out of the community, and he had returned. And this time, I was there when he returned. That's another time I was in Chicago at the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's house. Now, why all these things happened when I'm there, I don't know. But that's what happened. I was there when he came back. And the way it happened, I need to go to that first. <clears throat> we were all sitting around. You know, when you go to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's house, you know, uh, he had a area. You sit in the living room. And first of all, you come just, say, about 15, 20 minutes before dinner time. They say, don't don't come too early, don't come too late. Because one time, Captain Shaw showed up about half an hour late. And Honorable Elijah Muhammad asked him, well, Brother Captain, what 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 brings you here to the house? Oh, dear Holy Pops, I come for dinner. Oh, well, Brother Captain, uh, we told you dinner was going to be a substitute. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, dear Holy Pops, I, I was going to come back. So he left. Now he... So he was about 15, 20 minutes early, right? So now he comes back, and they had already started, and now he's about 15 minutes late. Well, Brother Captain, what, what are you here for? Well, you, you told us, yeah, but I told you to come back at a certain time, so you go back home, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> so anyhow, so when you come to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's house, you come at the right time, and you leave when you finish, okay? And where was, uh, where was Elijah Muhammad's house at in Chicago? Where was it located? 4847, if I remember right, South Woodlawn Avenue. Okay. You know, I think that's the address. I mean, it's been a long time for me. <laughs> it's, it's in that neighborhood. I'm close. That's not the right address. It's close. It's very close by. So he, so he had his house there, and that's before he built the other house on that same corner. But anyhow, <clears throat> so... Um, I was invited out to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's home, and we're all sitting in the living room. Every time you come, you sit there, and then about 15 minutes before the dinner time, 10 minutes or so before the dinner time, each one person will go to the powder room. There's a little powder room right off of the living room. You go and wash up and, just, and then sit back down in the living room because they tell you time for dinner. So anyhow, uh, we all had one by one. Everyone sitting there with their bow ties and their suits and their shining shoes and everything. And there's one guy sitting there with a like plaid shirt on, a jacket, you know, no tie, sort of a not shaved real well. You know, he's a, and so he's joining the conversation, but he's real quiet, like and humble, you know. So um, uh, everyone's, you know, conversation stays normal until he gets up and goes to the bathroom. He gets up to go to the then the conversation changes. When did Wallace get back, man? When did Wallace get back? I didn't know he was back. Yeah, that, man, I didn't shoot the woo. I didn't know that, man. So then, then when he comes back out of the bathroom, then the conversation goes right back to where it was. Oh, yeah, how are you, brother? Yeah, you know. So I said, oh, my God, that must be Wallace, you know. So, uh, so anyhow, we go to the table. We sit down and we eat. And uh, so it's so different than all the other Muhammads, you know. Was not was not you know like you knew Herbert was you knew Herbert was the the go-to guy you knew that uh, Nathaniel was the go-to guy you knew Emmanuel was the go-to guy you know the Elijah Jr. all these people you know you, and then when the sisters would come they would come in and they would prance in you know but Wallace was just down to earth okay so anyhow when I get back from <clears throat> Chicago. And I, when I got back, I told uh, Minister Farrakhan, I told, first I told Akbar, 
who picked me up at the airport, I told him, I said, guess what, man? He said, well, I said, Wallace is back. He said, Wallace is back. I said, yeah, Wallace is back, because I had heard all these stories about Wallace, you know. <laughs> so, so uh, Minister Varkon began, when he found out, and after I told him and shared with him that Wallace was back, he um, he began teaching on the history as it related to Wallace in a positive way, you know. And uh, he uh, was saying how that what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has said about Wallace and how that he would be this, he would be that, and he was that's why he was named who was named, how the name was put behind the door and was told to trace the name. I mean, all these things. He started going after that. And so he began teaching on uh, the, uh, teaching at the Tuesday class for the teachers, and also for the Thursday night minister meeting. He would meet his minister, assistant ministers. He began to share that with them and have a labor's meeting. He talked about it too. So, excuse me. So with that, that became the byword. Okay. So now let's move on. So Wallace is back, and there's a lot of things that between that. Question. But right now I'm just going to try and get to the point where Elijah Muhammad is, is, is he, he was, it was rumored that he was ill, had to be flown from Mexico back to Chicago, and yeah, because they had to charter a plane and fly to Chicago and bring it back. Everyone didn't know, the rank of power didn't know all this, and it was just, the, it was just basically information that was collected and held at the at the level of the officials, Minister Captain Secretary, and me being right up there <clears throat> very close to Minister Farquhar, I basically got most of the good most of the news, even classified news, so called classified news. <clears throat> so anyhow, at that around that time when he was in the hospital, uh Valora Najib, who was his go-to secretary, because he had a number of secretaries, he had her, I mean, well, she she began calling around because uh, the imam himself, who was the supreme minister or the minister, Minister Wallace, he had different people working for him at that time, you know, just, just he sort of pulled together a little team. And uh, James 52 was a brother out of New York City who had moved back out to Chicago to work with Rasul, who was then the national secretary for the community. And so they had, he had called all of the ministers on one occasion and in the middle of the night and had them all come to Chicago. Okay. Well, some people said that was just an emotional uh, overrun of him. Now, in that same period of time, there were calls made by the staff who were working with Imam Wajid Muhammad that Imam Muhammad had recommended that they call around to the minister and let all of them know that he wanted them to come out to Chicago early before Sages because the Honorable Wajid Muhammad that he, they should be there to witness the reality of was right now, and uh, so they called around and tried to get the ministers to come. And in fact, all the ministers basically came, but Minister Farrakhan. Now, the reason why Minister Farrakhan didn't come 
was partly I had to take some responsibility in it myself is because we were threatened by Valora Najib. Valora told us, she told me and told, said, told me to tell the minister. The reason why she contacted me because I basically spent my whole day at the at the temple every day because of the school. And so I'm there. Minister Farcon did not always come in early in the morning. Sometimes he would come in in the afternoon. And so many of the calls that came for him, they were forward to my office because I not only worked as a director, I worked as one of Minister Farcon's top assistants. You know, I mean, I was seen that way and I was respected that way, okay? So whenever Valor or anybody like that would call when major phone calls would come, uh, they would direct the calls to me, and then I, in turn, would try to reach the minister or, or scrutinize the call to see whether it's something I should get in touch with the minister about or just wait till he comes in. Or it would, would ask for me, let me speak to the director. And so I would get on the phone, Director Clark, let me tell you something. You tell Minister Farrakhan that I said that you all, if you all come come out here and follow what Wallace is saying, when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gets well and gets on his feet, he's going to bust all of you. He's going to bust all of you. All of you are going to be set down. So I'm telling you right now, don't listen to them pretty crazy people. Honorable Elijah Muhammad will be all right. And don't you listen to them. Don't, don't, don't you let them tell you that he's sick and so sick that he can't make it. He's going to be all right now. You make your own mind. So she, she made out of how many of them threatening calls. And I'm getting, the, I'm getting the call each time, right? So when I sit and and then he would call her back. She would tell him the same identical thing, and we we would discuss it. So anyhow, we got down. We were about two days before before Savior's Day, and uh, she called. I mean, she called again. So we, the minister and myself and Larry, we decided we needed to meet because it was it was. They always called us. They called us the Three Musketeers. I had all kinds of names for us, you know. Anyhow, wherever you saw the minister, you saw Larry, you saw me. And occasionally you saw Brother James, very close to the minister, but he had a job and he wasn't able to be there all the time. He was basically around the, around the temple, around the, uh, the temple at the time. So anyhow, with this, we this next call came. We wanted to make a decision, but Larry had come down with the flu, and he was he was locked. He was in his bed, and uh, so we went by his house. He lived in the story of in Astoria, uh, right across the Traveror Bridge, underneath the Traveror Bridge, the other end of the Traveror Bridge. So we uh, <clears throat> at his house, and we spoke to him, and the minister asked me, what did I think? I said, well, you said, this is what Laura's saying. I said, because she's saying, if you come out there, you, you don't. So he got to Larry. So Larry had, was tearful. It was a very, very emotional conversation, you know. So uh, Larry said, told the minister, Brother Minister, I think you should. I really think you should go. They're trying to get you to come out there. It might be more serious than what we understand. So uh, at that point, I didn't try to rebook Larry because I, I really was feeling that way, but I was only held in my position because of the threat that Valora was putting over the minister's head. And I also knew that Valora had a heavy, she, she walked heavy. So she could bust people. And, I mean, she could bust you just as quick as the rest of them. So anyhow, so the minister listened to Larry, and I agreed. I went along with it. That wasn't my original idea, but it was the right thing to do. 
and uh, <clears throat> so the minister jumped on a plane. I think he took Joshua with him, his one of his sons, you know. So they got out there, and so meanwhile, I'm now I'm it's, I'm back here. The captain Shaw had already gone. He's gone. So that that left minister's gone. The captain's gone. Sister captain's gone. So who's in charge of the, the message? Okay, so the secretary is still there. That's Ishmael Shamsuddin. And Ishmael said he wasn't going to handle all that drama. He said he, the press keeps calling, the press keeps calling, talking about the health of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He said, Brother Director, you handle Since you work, you the minister's assistant, you handle those calls. I'm not going to handle them. So, I, so I'm left handling all these calls coming. So now here's AP, UPI, and all those ABC, CBS, NBC, they're all calling and calling. And now they got a report that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has passed away, okay? So I'm saying, now here they, here goes these devils again, starting this stuff every year around Savior's Day time. They start the same stuff about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So meanwhile, somebody came, one of the brothers from the security downstairs on the first floor, he calls me in my office and tells me, Joe Noble, who was a prominent newsman, um, he was the host of the program called Like It Is, the CBS Newsman. What was his name again? What was his name? Gil Noble. Gil, okay. Gil, G-I-L Noble. So he, 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 he uh, so Gil Noble, he, he's there with a, with a, a group of journalists, New York journalists, and uh, none of them knew anyone other than Gil's. Well, I've been to Gil's house, and because being traveling minister Farquhar, I got to know. Quite a few celebrities and quite a few well-known, well-placed people. You know, I knew Gil, Tony Brown, and 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 I, I the names go on and on and on. You know. So anyhow, I said, all right, I'll come down to the door. So I came down to the door. So when I they opened the door, Gil was out there. Hey, brother, 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 Director Clark, and he introduced me to the different journalists and everything and the anchors for the different shows. You know, and I told him I was very pleased to meet them. And um, he said, well, we're just here. He said, first we want to offer you condolences for the loss of your leader, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And I sort of smiled and laughed. I said, loss of what leader? He said, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He said, we got it right here on the wire. He pulled out, he had this uh, piece of paper from the from the uh, AP at the time, like it was coming on uh, on these uh, teletype uh, machines, okay? And uh, he had uh, pulled a section from the teletype machine where it said Elijah Muhammad leader of the nation of Islam has passed away. And I just laughed. I said, well, there they go again. And he said, are you saying this is not true? I said, I'm telling you they do it every year. It's the same thing. He said, Honorable Elijah Muhammad is live and well. So he said, he's live and well. I said, Gil, there's nothing wrong with Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I said, he's fine. I said, we're on our way to Savior's Day in the next few hours. I said, and so... Don't worry about it. I said, they do this every year. I said, don't let the devil fool you, you know. So I smiled, and he he looked bewildered, and the, the, press, the other people looked at us as if to say, well, this, this, this nigga is crazy, you know. So anyhow, we locked the door, and I went back upstairs, and I gathered all my teachers who were on my staff, and I, we all got together and said, we're not going to let the devil fool us, are we? That's right. And all of them agreed. I said, and we're going to stand strong. That's right. And we know the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is alive and God, Almighty God, Allah, we're going to That's right. And so, so all right, now we're going to get ready to go to Savior's Day. We're not going to let this devil play with it. That's right. So, so we were all, you know, we we were all fired up. So they're going to come and try and do this. So they did it every year. Okay. So we were used to it. So um, we had it. 
right then headed for east for LaGuardia Airport. I live right across the street from the airport. So I picked my bags and everything up, headed for the airport. And when New York went to to, to save us, <clears throat> we didn't go like most people most people coming some cars and stuff like that. New York went we, we had buses and airplanes. Great big full size airplanes. We must have we must have at least three two to Okay. And sold each one of them up, okay? And uh, <coughs> I was on the first plane. And so uh landed at LaGuardia Airport. Excuse me, not at LaGuardia. When we landed at O'Hare Airport, uh, we landed. Uh, I had gotten better, and he had gotten out there ahead of me. And he had, uh, he came and got on the plane. And first he got on. He asked, uh, you know, the uh, stewardess if he could use the PA system. They said, yeah, because this was charter flights. So they gave him the PA system. So he said, "Is Brother Director Clark on the plane?" I said, "Yes, sir. I'm here, Brother uh, Brother uh, Minister Larry. I want to see you, please." So I came up front, you know. So he said, uh, "He took me off to the side." He said, "Brother Director, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's dead. I could have fell through the floor. I mean, it was just it just shocked me. I mean, it just took just numbed me." He said, "Don't show no emotion." He said, "Just listen to me." He said. We we got to get through this," he said. "We don't we can't have no ball in the crown. We have to be mature." He said, "I got to announce to the believers, but I wanted to let you know first. You know, I said, okay, do what you got to do." So he said, "May I have your attention, please?" And everyone's quiet. He said, "I just want to make an announcement." He said, "We don't want no tears, no crying, no shouting, no emotion. We want everyone to handle this mature way. So we got to get through this airport. We don't want to show any sign of emotion. Period. No talking or nothing." He said, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has passed away. The janazah will be tomorrow. Then we'll, we'll have the Savior's Day. I think that's the way we had it. Then we'll have the Savior's Day program. He said, the Honorable Wallace D. Muhammad, Minister Wallace Muhammad, Supreme Minister Wallace Muhammad, will be in charge of everything. So uh, he said, when we get off the plane, don't say a word. No crying, no hollering, no screaming, nothing. So we don't have time for that. So we have to be a mature. Brother man, let me let me let me stop you right here. So when he made that announcement, uh he's implying he was implying that the it had already been agreed among the leadership that Imam Warthi Muhammad would take over the leadership. No, no, no. What he was saying is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, if you remember in nineteen uh a couple months before that, if you you go online you can get this um video. Uh, Iman Warthi Muhammad came to the FOI class, and I, I, I can go back to that. I, in fact, I need to go back to that. That's no, that's all right. Just, 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 just can't bring it up to date. That's fine. That's fine. He went to the no, FOI class and what now? But you, you got to have this because this is the key. But I, you don't have to have it tonight. But you got to have, plug this one in because let me just give you a summary of it real quick. Mm-hmm. Elijah Muhammad, Iman Warthi Muhammad showed up unexpectedly in New York City at the historic historic FOI class and set this thing in motion with words and information that you'll see nowhere and a response from Minister Farrakhan like you'll see nowhere. So anyhow, but that set the stage for that. So that set the stage for why Iman Warthi Muhammad was in charge. He told us right then that his father was going to die, and when his father died, he was going to be in charge, and when he was in charge, what he was expecting of us. So that's the summary of that. We can come back to that in detail. But anyhow, going forward, 
that's that's why he was able to say that. And then oh, okay. Then we went on, and then of course at the uh, at the uh, um, we had the janazza, and of course then we had the Savior's Day, and then the Savior's Day we had the uh, uh, that's when the uh, ministers lifted uh, start doing long live Muhammad, and one by one they came and pledged bayar to the uh, Imam Wadisadim Muhammad, and and the minister Farcom was he did too. He was sort of uh, emotional and slow in doing it, but he did. And uh, so that's basically moved us in that direction. Okay, you've been listening to Imam Muhammad Sadiq expound on the ever-changing events that occurred in the nation of Islam in the early 70s, and also the new emergence of the leadership of Email Warhuddin Muhammad coming into leadership in 1975 during Savior's Day. If you have any questions, you can call now. If you want to, 646-668-8368. That's 646-668-8368. If you want to ask a question, please press 1 on your uh, phone. Press 1 in your Now, I know that you want to ask a question, and then I'll use a question. So, uh, Imam Muhammad Sadiq, so what a- actually happened on Savior's Day of 1975? Well, on Savior's Day, Imam Wadi Muhammad gave a very impressive speech, and he let us know that this community was not run on emotions, and that this community was going to be run on rational intelligence, and that it, it, uh, it, it didn't make any difference. He said that, that, that the windows be open and the blinds be pulled and the drapes the window, whatever. He said the winds of emotion won't cause these circles to move, you know. So anyhow, but basically he had laid out a clear plan of how he was going to uh, move forward in leadership. And one by one, each one of the ministers came forward and uh, pledged their uh, support for him. Jesse Jackson was there. He did the same thing. Now, in another, prior to being right there in the big, full uh, auditorium, Jesse Jackson had come to visit the minister, and uh, he called the the old man when the old man passed, you know, and uh, he got down on his hands and knees to the Honorable Imam Warthi Muhammad. And Imam Warthi Muhammad got down on his hands and knees. He told him, he said, now, I'm going to stay down here as long as you stay down here because you're embarrassing me. He said, but when you get up, I'll get up. You know. <laughs> he told him he wasn't going for that. You know? <laughs> so how did the community at that time, the, the believers at that time, I've seen video. And, and actually, uh, again, I had just joined the Nation of Islam about two years earlier. Uh, but I want to hear this from you because you're at, you're right at the root, right at the base of whatever's going on. At that point, I was just a young young man, uh, and, and my perceptions was totally, you know, blurred. So I didn't really know what was going on. This was 1975. But how did the people respond in in the audience, the believers, uh, to Imam Muhammad's speech and the direction that he had told them that he was taking the community in? The believers were, okay, two situations. <coughs> One, they were, 
one, they seemed to be in a state of shock because that was a, that was a big pill to have to accept two two major moves in that one two day period. One was that the Elijah Muhammad is dead, and the next one was to accept we've got a new leader. And uh, but basically, openly, there was no sign of of uh, re- rejection. Muhammad Ali came up and he accepted, and uh, and one by one, all of the uh, big big boys who were Jeremiah Muslim Shabazz, A.K. Uh, Kareem, uh, all of these people who were uh, Secretary Rasul John Ali, all of these people who were the movers and shakers, Wally Baha, these were the the movers and shakers, Captain Sharif, Captain Yusuf Shah. Captain, the other yeah, minister Yusuf Shah, and uh, secretaries of different secretaries, uh, the families of the of, of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, his sisters, his brother Jabber Muhammad, Elijah too. All of these people had basically uh, offered their uh, allegiance and support, and that made for a smooth transition, a much smoother transition. Though there was some rumbling underneath, but never nothing was seen in the open. That the rumbling that was underneath didn't even manifest itself until Minister Farrakhan reached out into the uh, into the uh, community, trying to find where there was weaknesses or people who were looking for something other than what they had gotten, and uh, then a lot of that manifested itself. So what were some of the immediate uh, changes or actions set in motion by Imam Ward D. Muhammad after he assumed the leadership role and was accepted uh, unanimously in the community as the leader? Well, the first thing that he did, some of the first things that he did, was to get us comfortable with with the direction he was going in. And uh, he um, went along with uh, Ibadi and the the likes of uh, some attorneys, uh, Naeem Akbar, uh, and and allowed them to uh, make certain decisions on how the which direction we were going with the community, and <clears throat> some of the things that they had come up with, because it was their idea to move Minister Farrakhan out of uh, New York City. Even Muhammad told me out of his mouth, he said that wasn't his original idea. He said that they came to him and appealed to him, you know, and told him that uh, Minister Farrakhan's life was in jeopardy back in New York City. Because many people believe, whether it was truthful or not, that he had stolen lots of money. And I can tell you from first-hand witness right there that that wasn't true. Mr. Farquhar, as far as I can see, and I worked very close with him, he wasn't that type of person. That wasn't where he was at. He liked a lot of nice things, but he wasn't one to be stealing, nothing like that. And uh, and then the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had given him a nice gift of a large sum of money, very large for that particular time, and he uh, was able to uh, uh, 
use that money in a constructive way to help get some of the things that he's been trying to get. And uh, we also helped him find a nice place to move his family to because his family was quite large, and they were living in that small house over where Malcolm used to live over there on, I think it's 97th Street in in uh, Corona, Queens, uh, in uh, East Elmhurst, East Elmhurst. And uh, um, we found, a, we went up in New Rochelle, Brother Akbar and myself, and uh, we found this home up there that was formerly owned by, <laughs> it was a call, call, uh, call, call, call girls, a guy had call girls up there, his name was Fleming. His name was Fleming. He had a, a house with an elevator and everything. It was right across the street from Ozzie Davis and uh, and Ruby D, a movie star and actress. And uh, and so uh, we went up there. We found this home. It was very nice. And at the time, we, we thought it was very expensive, $75,000, which is no money at all. And uh, he was able to uh, p- purchase that. The master purchased it for him. And so he purchased a seventy-five thousand dollar home, and uh, and that way he was give his family a little breathing room, because they didn't they really were living in a tight in some tight quarters, and uh, you know that gave him a little little stretch out a little way of stretching things out a little bit you know. Okay, let's let's get back to um, you was talking about before we go. To, we're gonna go to a break in a minute here, but you were discussing some of the getting ready to discuss some of the directions uh, that uh, Imam Muhammad took the community in. I know you say yeah, Naeem Makba uh, noted uh, the Muslim and African uh, American psychologists, I think, and also sociologists. You uh, said he had some some influences on and then others. On some of the directions. What were some of those directions they immediately moved the community well, Naeem, to? Naeem and a few others. Naeem became a, what was called a special assistant to Imam Warthi Muhammad. And he's a very brilliant man. And uh, he had written this book, Community of Self. I'm not sure when he actually wrote it, but he did write it early on. And he was motivated and inspired by the uh, insights and language of Imam Warthi Muhammad. And he, in turn, wrote a book that became very popular and very much appreciated in the community because he was one of the first writers of any materials, independent materials, as it relates to the, the new direction that we were going in. And so that that opened up a, a big direction for us. And then many of these assistants, they, they worked right along uh, making decisions and uh, uh, making uh, uh, recommendations for new leadership, new people taking new positions, and uh, I, I was caught in the middle of that. The same thing, like everybody else. Uh, I, I'm the director of the University of Islam, right? And so, uh, what happened was, um, Minister Farrakhan had gone to Jamaica. To get to get some uh, sunshine and and to um, relax and sort of chill out. And uh, <coughs> while he was in Jamaica, I because things you know had changed so much. Larry had been moved to um, 
St. Louis, Missouri, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of, you know, unrest and a lot of of, of uh, lack of of security being felt amongst us. And I'm I'm thinking about getting out of New York City, period. I'm thinking about moving down to uh, Tallahassee, Florida. So anyhow, Minister Farrakhan had gone to Jamaica, West Indies, and uh, I I uh, rented a Lincoln Continental, and uh, I was I'm going to go to uh, drive my family down so we can go down to take a look at Tallahassee, because I'm thinking I'm gonna move down there. So anyhow, with Sister Mary, 43, who is Minister Farrakhan's secretary, and he would call every day to check and see what's going on at the temple. She told him what I was getting ready to do, and he flipped. You know, he said he told her to get me on the phone right away. And uh, I came to the phone, and he told me, he said, how could you leave me like this? He said, you know you're my only support and helper and friend that I have in this city. So he said that, uh, you know, I, I just disagree with that. You know, so I told him, I said, well, Brother Minister, I'll change my plan, and I'll just uh, stay around. Maybe I'll just take this weekend and go upstate take my family for a little retreat or something like that. He said, well, that's different. He said, but you're talking about going down to Tallahassee looking to move. He said, you're the only person I have. You know they took Larry out there, and it's just you and me. And I said, okay, I'll be here. So anyhow, that's how that went down. So so uh, while he's gone, I went up state New York, and I came back. And meanwhile... The hammer fell on me, you know. I'm I'm out in um, Queens, uh, getting getting this Lincoln uh, mileage thing uh, at our gas station disconnected, because at the time you were, you didn't get no free miles on the car. And I wasn't gonna drive all the way to Florida and pay all those miles all the way back, you know. So I just <laughs> had them disconnect the uh, the thing, the uh, uh, odometer. And so while I'm out there getting having the odometer <laughs> disconnected, I, uh, I'm called to the phone because this is our gas station. We own this gas station. So uh, when I come to the phone, uh, they tell me the sister on the phone is one of my uh, teachers. And one of the things we had, in, we always called each other by our titles. Like I'm... I'm brother director because I was the director of the university minister was brother minister because he was the minister, brother inspector because he's the inspector, brother captain because he's the captain, sister captain because she's the captain. So that's how that went. Now, here's a sister who has worked under me all these years. She has never, I never heard her call me nothing but brother director, brother director, brother director. Not that I needed that, but that's all I ever heard her call me. So she tells me, she says, uh, I come to the phone, she says, brother Clark. And I paused. I said, uh-oh, problem's here. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, uh, Captain wants to see you right away over in the, at, at the salon restaurant. I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be right over. So now he, he had put my assistant, one of my assistants who works under me, to put me in short pants. When I say put me in short pants was when she called me Brother Clark, that sent a message. And she didn't just do that. She did that because they told her to do that. And she couldn't, she had no choice because she was one of the lieutenants on Sister Captain's staff. So she was doing what she was, 
Did you have a question? No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just listening. Yes, so she was obviously told to do that, and I knew that was sending me a message, okay? So I jumped in my car, and I told him, hold off on what you're doing. And I jumped in the car, and I rode over to Manhattan. And I get over to Manhattan, when I walked into the salon restaurant, it was sort of dark. They were sitting in the back of the table, all the way in the back. And the salon restaurant was the ass part. It was in the front part, little, and you go in the back part, and it's, it's, it's exclusive eating, you know. I'm in the back, they're in the back. Eyes had to adjust it to the light, and I could see the captain, sister captain, and I could see they were laughing and talking, and another sister sitting at the table who I didn't know who they were. So um, I walked in, I walked into the restaurant with the, with the captain, said, Brother Clark. I said, Yes, sir, Brother Captain. I saluted you. you know, did, uh, this is the new director of the University of Islam. Give her her keys and everything, take her up and show her office and everything so, so she can get situated right away. I said, yes, sir, Brother Captain. I said, yes, ma'am. It's nice to meet you. She's Dr. Fatima Ali. Fatima Ali. Fatima Ali. I said, yes, Ali. I said, let me take you to show you your office. I'll give you kitchen keys and everything for you. So now, that was a chump-style bus, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I, I mean... I've been prepared for that for a long time, you know, because we, we I heard it, and I look, I was a soldier in the nation. Heard, heard that you rise and you fall. I heard it, how Malcolm was tested, how how he failed the test, and how he couldn't pass the test. He thought he this position was permanently his. Not that, and I'm thinking, okay, my day has come. Now I'm a, I'm not gonna make that same mistake he made. So took the sister up there. I, ring, I gave her, the, I told her I'll be getting all my stuff out of there by the morning, and that this is her office right here, here's your keys, off and running. Over to her, we had over ten, fifteen thousand dollars in the account, you know, and uh, she was off and running. So anyhow, that, so I was busted right there, uh, but now, yeah, the chickens come home to roost. Later on, and I'm going to jump ahead, uh, when Captain Shaw got busted, it was sad. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see that because I loved him, and, and, and he had, he was a, was a good brother. But Nature of Islam was situated in a strange way. Anyhow, when his day came, Don King stuck it to him. They had ended up coming here to Tallahassee, I mean, to Indianapolis, Indiana, because that's where Don King had to come working for Mike Tyson, and he had Captain Shaw working for him. And he was he was affiliating Captain Shaw in cooking pork chops and stuff like that. And uh, Captain Shaw, when he came into into Indianapolis, the first thing he did was send for me. Never said out of his mouth, I'm sorry, but he did everything in his power to tell me I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for the way I did you. But he knew what he did to me was wrong. He knew the way he did it to me was wrong. Because that was humiliating. But it was humiliating only if your ego got in the way. But if your ego didn't get in the way, you could get past that. And I got past it. I never stopped. And then, in fact, I, I did it so well that he, he called me to the side up in New York and, and told me, I thought I trained you to be a man. Stand up and be a man. I said, every time I see you, he said, every time I see you, you chauffeuring this sister around. I said, Brother Captain, isn't that what you taught me to do? Isn't that what you told me to do? 
Well, he didn't say another word. I said, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Well, so much for that. I won't go no further. Maybe we would rest right here and leave some somebody who has any questions for tonight. And I, I, I did the Hannity show earlier, which I didn't do. I sat there for the Hannity show because uh, while I was on the Hannity show, they didn't give me a chance to say nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, we're gonna we, we're, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna give you a break here. We're gonna come back and close out the show. And so, if okay. anyone have any questions, we want you to think about it. I have a couple of questions myself. We want you okay. to think about it, brother, ma'am. And we're gonna come back in a moment. And uh, anyone have any questions? You can call six four six 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 eight eight three six eight. That's six four six 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 eight eight three six eight. When you do get in, press one on your phone, and it'll let me know that you're in the queue, and I will bring you in, and you can ask your questions. So we're going to a station break uh, in just one moment. I actually brought it for my daughters. They, and my daughters really, my their hair has gotten so much thicker. It's gotten longer, and they feel, it's like they had a ball, like ball spots on the side head but um ever since uh we've been using it they no more the hair has actually grown excel nutraceuticals all natural base hgs has been scientifically developed for the control of eczema of the scalp and hair regrowth for more information go to www.xcel-n.com yes hi my name is carmen about a year ago i had ordered three of the jars of the XL HGS, and I'm here to tell you, oh, it really, really worked. It stopped my hair from thinning out. My hair is just beautiful, and I'm just so very well pleased. Nutraceuticals, all natural products, call today at 1-800-977-3981. Yeah, this is Donald San Antonio. We gave her a bath and we started rubbing her down with um, with the XLSO, and she has had complete, complete moisture in her skin ever since. Excel Nutraceuticals All Natural Base SO has been scientifically developed for the management of eczema and psoriasis. For more information, go to xcel-n.com. My name's uh, Dr. Karen Holly, and I am the senior pastor at Lifeway Church, and I'm also a psychological therapist. My grandson, Christian Turner, and he uses SO, and he has eczema, and so it's just worked wonderfully for him. I've tried bump stop. I've tried all kind of stuff. <laughs> By my end, you would never believe, uh, people don't believe anymore that I used to have hair bumps except my friends. It cleared it up. No more dry patches, even the, the patches that would come around. Nutraceuticals, all natural products, call today at 1-800-977-3981. The new African broadcast is sponsored by XL Nutraceuticals. XL Nutraceuticals produces and manufactures all natural products that help promote clear skin and healthy hair growth. Visit XL Nutraceuticals at www.xcel-n.com or call 1-800-977-3981. And now, back to the new African broadcast.
welcome back to the show, a new African. I have tonight on the show Imam Muhammad Sadiq. He's been bringing us up to speed on the nation of Islam, a lot of information, the inner workings of the nation of Islam, individuals that most of us didn't even know exist, even some of the interactions between, between the nation of Islam and the civil rights movement, some civil rights leaders, Julian Bond, Jesse Jackson, a very, very informative show here. Uh, Brother Imam Sadiq, uh, we got about 10 minutes in the show. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If anyone has want to ask a question, they can call now, 646-668-8368, 646-668-8368. And you can press uh, one on your uh, phone, and we'll bring you in. And I got a question right here. Uh, Brother Yassin, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Yes, I have a question. Uh, kind of go back a little bit. You know, first I want to say is, I mean, what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did as far as business-wise is astounding. Uh, going back to where you talked about the uh, importing the fish, uh, you getting these contracts. My question is, I mean, what, well, what happened to these contracts and I'm trying to put everything in a hole because, you know, when, I mean, important fish, you know, the bakeries, uh, you know, I mean, it's so much, you know, in that network, and it's hard to see today what he had built. And then I know one of the things that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said is do for yourself, and we don't see a lot of these businesses no more as far as black owners running it. I mean, especially important fish. I mean, you don't see that today. And he had to have transportation to get the fish to a warehouse to uh to 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 uh to refrigerate it. So uh like I said, I'm trying to put everything in a hole. What happened to all that? I mean, how did it just fade away or is it still running? I mean, I don't know. Uh I know as far as I know some brothers that still try to do bean pies local. Uh, but not on a major scale, but that's one of my questions. What happened to all these business assets that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had built? Email the okay. could you could you answer that? We got about five, six minutes. Take about three minutes and answer that, and then we'll we'll close out, and then we'll pick up on the show uh, Monday when we have our uh, part four series. Okay. Well, I'll answer part of it <laughs> because that's a pretty big question. First of all, let me... Uh, the Nation of Islam, many of the brothers in the Nation of Islam under Minister Farrakhan now wrongfully say Imam Wadi Muhammad, you know, uh, destroyed the businesses and things like that. Imam Wadi Muhammad didn't do nothing of the kind. And I'm not trying to protect Imam Wadi Muhammad. What Imam Wadi Muhammad did was, for the first time, he made each business stand on its business foundation. Because before the businesses weren't standing on business foundation, the businesses were there. They were looking prosperous, but they were there because of other programs that we had that were there that were subsidizing these businesses. Plus, we're not paying any kind of of, uh, of of proper salary to the men. We would, I say, when we had the big rallies at, at, at Randall's Island and everything like that. 
We would tell the FOI in the New York City, we had over a thousand some FOI. We tell the FOI, ten chairs, all the brothers, okay, break down these chairs and everything like that. And they would we bring the truck in, they would load up the stuff and load up everything, we'd be out of there. But what we didn't have, what we didn't have to do, we didn't have to pay minimum wage to each one of those brothers. We didn't have to pay overtime when they stayed late at night. Uh, and, 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 there was no, you know, and so when when the businesses had to stand on their own, when the brothers did not have to take 300 papers, when the brothers did not have to make a donation according to the way you say that I have, then the question was, could each one of those businesses maintain and stand on its own business uh, ability, or did it need some type of propping up or some type of support from the unlimited uh, treasures that we could underneath the surface reach out to. Can you hear me? Can you still hear me? Yeah, we can, can hear you. Hear I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear okay. you. Okay. So anyhow, with that, we were able we were able to uh, keep the businesses flourishing based on the fact that we were not operating the businesses on strict business principles. We were operating the businesses on a principle of, you know, free labor or low, low labor, and and paying, uh, getting. Not we we were we were taking advantage of the of charitable spirit of the community membership for underwriting the businesses in many instances. We weren't paying taxes. Unemployment, we weren't paying insurances, we weren't paying vacations, we weren't paying uh, sick leave. So you start and put all that together, and then you have to start opening up a business after Imam Marty Muhammad came to the office. He said, No, 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 no. If we're going to hire these men, these men are going to be here. They're gonna, they, got, they got obligation, responsibility, rent, light, gas. That let anybody who's going to work for the nation. Same minimum salary that everybody else gets when he another capacity for some other some other manufacturer or some other business. And when we had to do it that way, it wasn't nothing happening again. When we had to depend on instead of forcing the men to sell three hundred papers, we depended on the men in their own spirit to pick up three hundred papers. It didn't happen. You can't even get or blessed to pick up three hundred. Nevertheless, one man to pick up three hundred. So what I'm saying is. They want to blame it on Imam Warthi Muhammad, and if that, and I, I'm saying it in this. And this is one thing I'm, I don't know whether Minister Farrakhan supports that thing, because I never heard what he had to say about it. But I've heard many of the members of the Nation of Islam who think they know the answer and they're wrong. They're just plain wrong. And I, I cut the cake fairly because I tell you all the good that Minister Farrakhan did, and I'm not going to so, let so anybody basically you. Say, basically, you saying that they only did what they did because they had a gun to their head. Once you took the gun from their head, they just let loose and let live like everybody else. Once there was no compulsion, they the businesses sunk because they could not stand on their own. There was no more. That's in other words, before when we functioned on those other principles where you had to do it, then yeah, the businesses looked like they were standing, but those businesses were artificial. They were artificial. So and it was they, basically there to give a show of strength. They gave a show of strength, a perception of strength. Maybe in years, maybe in a few years, maybe 10 years or more, if they could have held on, 
they may have been able to be independent, but they were mm-hmm. not. They were they had not been emancipated, and those businesses were still depending on being getting an input from the community, money from the community, and that's the same thing right now. I guarantee the nation of Islam as it exists today, as you're looking at, it looks like a big success. Move those props out from underneath them, and I guarantee it falls right on his ass. Right, and and with that, we we're gonna we're gonna close out this show. We want everybody to to come back with us on Monday from the for the fourth installment of this series from Inside Looking Out, Black Muslim to Muslim America, 1956 to present. We've had on the show tonight Imam Muhammad Sadiq, a pioneer of Islam in America, and spanned over more than 60 years. He even talked about the Noble Drew uh, Ali movement, the Marcus Garvey movement, the Nation of Islam, and his ultimate transformation into the Muslim American community in our year under the leadership of Imam Warren D. Muhammad. Imam Muhammad Sadiq, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. I know you've had a long day, and everyone that's listening and right there online. But I'm just sitting there like a, like a spook to sat beside the door. Because when I tried yes, to sir. speak, he shut me down, and when he said he'd come back to me, well, he Well, you go, you go get a chance to speak on this show. So I want to give you the greetings of peace, and I want you to have a good evening, a good night. As-salamu alaykum to all you know, of uh, our guests as well. Have a nice evening. You have been listening to the New African Broadcast, a media program dedicated to the consciousness and the positive moral growth of the black youth of America. Thank you for giving us your attention and tune in to our next broadcast. Assalamu alaikum.